Listen, for me, after, I got done, after the week was over with, on Saturday, I decided I was going to do something really fun on Saturday. So me and a good friend of mine, Ross Batty, the two of us, we decided that we were going to go um, to the grand opening of the PGA Golf Warehouse Superstore down in Westminster. It was this, it was, we, we heard about it on the radio and we heard there might be some giveaways and we're as dirt cheap as you get. And so we look for any way to get anything free. And so we just said, well, let's go down there and, and, and see if we might be able to get something there at this PGA superstore. Okay. It's a golf, um, like apparel superstore. So we get down to Westminster and, and we got there 45 minutes early and we thought, this is going to be embarrassing. We're going to be sitting there in our cars waiting for those doors to unlock. And then we'll be the first ones in. Hi, we're the first ones. We get down there. It's like Disneyland, you guys. The line of cars getting into that parking lot was out in the street. And when you came in, we're 45 minutes early. We come in and we park. And the line is already from out the door around about 10 businesses down around the corner. We're 300 people in by the time we stand in the line. 45 minutes early, 300 people are in front of us in this stupid line to get into a golf apparel warehouse superstore. So, so, and then 300 more come in after us. So there's like 600 of us in this line before 9 a.m. And, and, and they pass out these sheets of what's, what's being given out. And we stopped the guy and we said, well, there's only 75 things on this sheet. So who, how are we all going to get a chance at this? And he says, you won't. The first 75 people get that. You had to be there at like midnight the night before to get one of the, the free, you know, socks that are on the list for you. And so what we get, we got a coupon, two hours in line, and we get a $20 off coupon to this thing. And all I could think about, all I could think about is all the people that aren't golfers that were driving through that parking lot that are looking at it just going, oh my gosh, what is going on there? Is Tiger Woods inside there signing autographs? or something because why are all those people standing in that massive line to get a coupon for some some checkered pants that are overpriced honestly someone is standing in a line for that that's what we did we stood in line for two hours and got inside and it was like black friday and and then we thought we can't afford any of this stuff anyway and we laughed that was it that was that was our morning you guys Sometimes we do things that other people that don't get it would just look at it and just go, why in the world do you do that? That's our series. Our series is why do we do that? Why do we do these things? And, and you guys, some things, let's just admit, are a little weird in church. If you're somebody, and some, maybe you've come in here right now and you're like, and you're seeing it through eyes that have never been in church before, there are some things that we do that can, be, that can look a little bit weird, okay? We acknowledge that. We try, we, Jim and I, what we try to do, and we look at it every week, and we talk to our staff about it every week, how do we make sure that we present something that, that anybody could connect with? We don't want to use a lot of church, church language, and we don't want to have insider-outsider stuff. We just want anybody to be able to connect with it. We want you, when you invite your neighbor, we want you to, to have confidence that when you invite them, they go, okay, we're getting it. We get what's going on around here. That's what we're hoping for. But every once in a while, we'll still do something that you'll just go, that somebody that comes in could go, why are they doing that? I mean, think about it. Maurice just talked about baptisms. 
and, and, and we, we set a hot tub up here and you get baptized. If someone walks in here, if you've walked in here and you've never, under, never heard anything about baptism before, you're seeing somebody get into a hot tub on a Sunday morning in front of 800 people and, you're, and they're going under the water and they're coming back out and everyone's cheering for them. You just got yourself soaked on a Sunday morning in front of a bunch of people and everyone's cheering. That sounds weird. Let's just admit it. It sounds weird. We recognize it's powerful, but it sounds weird to somebody. Why would we do that? And that's why, we're, that's why we're doing this series, because there are some things that Jesus commanded us to do and that the church has been doing for th- a couple thousand years. Why are we doing it? Should we keep doing it? Why does it look different in one place than another? So we're talking about that. Jim talked last week about the need to put a stake in the ground that you cannot just keep sliding, but that you have to decide at some point. And that baptism is a fantastic way for to go under the water and feel that water around you, that cleansing, that, the, 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 that God actually cleanses us. And then we make a stake and we put a stake in the ground and say, man, I'm making a decision right here. So we talked a little bit about baptism. Today, where is the second of these three things that we identified? Jim and Becky and I talked about this, and we said, what, what baptism's one that might look a little weird to people. Communion is one that might look a little weird to people. You think about it. If you've come in here next week, we're doing communion next week. If you came in next week and you saw a group of people lining up and coming down to the front and tearing off a piece of bread from, another, from a loaf of bread that everyone's been tearing stuff off of, and then you dip it into this juice that has a bunch of crumbs in it, and so now you've got this soggy piece of bread with grape juice on it, and now you're going to eat that, and you had a moment that sounds weird. Come on. That sounds weird to some. That could be a weird thing. But we see that as powerful. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing that? Because you guys, we do not want to be a church that just goes through the motions. We don't want to be a church that you do it and you, and you, 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 you go through, you, you come up here and you take it because you're supposed to. Well, it's my turn. It's my turn in line. And I go up there and I dip it in and I'm hungry anyway. I might as well take it and I'll sit back down. We don't want to be that church. We want to make sure you understand why we're doing what we're doing. Next week, Jim's going to talk about worship. Why in the world do we come and worship this God? And when we sing songs, we're singing songs to somebody new that comes in. You might, look, you might have just gone through it right there. You look at it and you go, that's karaoke. The only time you ever see words on a screen and someone playing music to it and you're singing to that, that's karaoke and that's it. Well, why do we sing these songs and why do we worship God? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. So today we're talking about communion. Today we're talking about why we do it. Today we're talking about why it looks so different from one place to another. Why is it that, that you could go to one place and, and it's so revered and it's in this gold cup and this chalice and the wine is in there and, and this, this wafer that sticks to the roof of your mouth. And, you know, why, you know what, what is that? In this church, but then in another church, I mean, I, was, I went to Flatirons a couple of years ago. They had it on a back table. You could just walk out, and they have little snacks, little communion snacks, little bread and juice right there, and you can take it as you go. Why is it so different from one church to another church? What, what's, what's going on there? We want to talk about that. Why are we doing it? What's, what's different about it? What's it mean for us today? Now, before we get started with it, I know that some of you have been around church for a really long time. 
And you've gone, oh, communion, all right, I already know, it's the body and blood of Jesus. And you, you have that in your head, and you've heard that a thousand times. And so now you're already checking out. You're already going, oh, this isn't for me, this is going to be for that other person. Can I ask you to go on a journey with me today? I heard someone write, a writer once said that the, the people, that Christians need to forget what they've, they've been taught every five years so that they can be reawakened to the wonder of what, who God is. Because we can lose that wonder and we can start going through the motions. And you know as well as I do, there are times where you go through the motions when it comes to things like communion. And so take the journey with me today, because I've been in this for a couple of weeks now, and it's just been inspiring to me as I've, as I've read it, and just going, yes, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Take the journey with me today, just for the next half hour. Father, we pray that you would, you would bless this. We pray that you would help each one of us to step closer to you. God, for those that don't understand it at all, and it just is a weird thing that people do. God, help us to understand it a little bit more. And for those of us that have seen it and done it so many times, wake, wake us up. Open our eyes to the truth of who you are. Your son told us, do this. Do it often. And so we need to understand why. Help us to understand that today, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's ground this thing. Let's ground this into the passages of Scripture that talk about communion. Now, now, a lot of people feel like, think that it's, it's, it's talked about only with the Lord's Supper, that the, the night before Jesus was betrayed, the night before the Roman soldiers came, the night before he went, to, went before Caiaphas and went into the dungeon at Caiaphas's place, and the night before Pontius Pilate, and the night before the cross, all of that, that was the Last Supper. And a lot of people will look at that and say that's where communion was introduced. But he actually introduced communion a, a year before that. He entered his communion in John 6 when he said to these, he said to people, he said, then Jesus said to them, I myself am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never again be thirsty. See, Jesus knows something about us that we don't know. He knows we are thirsting for something. He knows that we are hungry for something. He knows that as human beings, we will look for ways to, to quench that thirst. And we'll look for ways to, to make us not hungry anymore. And he says, we're looking for something. And he was going, I know what the answer is. And I know what you're looking for. You don't even know it. You're, gonna, you're hungry and you don't know what you're looking for. You're thirsty and you don't know what you're looking for. And I know what it's going to be. And I know what, it's gonna, what I can give you. But they didn't get it. They heard that and they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. And they just went, we went on with some, we, he went on with something else. But a year or two later, he comes back to them. And this is when we get to the Lord's Supper. And this is when he comes together with these 12 guys in this upper room. And he looks at them all and he, he says, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread. They're chowing down on some food. Jesus takes a loaf of bread and, and, he, and, and he, after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And so, so now he's breaking this bread. He's giving it to his disciples. He says, take, eat, this is my body. Now you can just picture the disciples going, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember him talking about this. He said something about this a while ago, but I, I still don't quite know what he's talking about. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
See, Jesus knows. He's he's introducing now the forgiveness of sins. He knows there's a hunger. He knows there's a thirst. And he knows there is a void. He knows there is something that needs to be filled. And he's going to be the one that's going to be able to fill it through his body and through his blood. He's going to be able to fill it. Then, then Paul comes back in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, and, and he kind of summarizes it again. He says, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, you recognize this now, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body for, that's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this and remember me. This cup is, the, in, in, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right, so now he's talking about sin. He's talking about hunger. He's talking about thirst. He's talking about death. And he's talking about bread and he's talking about wine. He's setting up communion, Okay. Now, now, what I want to do is I want to get to the why. Why do, we, why do we do this? Why are we looking at this? Well, I want to get to the why, but will you give me just five minutes to talk about the how? Why does it look so different in one place to another? How do we, what's happening when we're giving out communion? Why in one place does it, is it so revered in another place you can get it as you leave? Why is, why is that such a huge range? Well, here's what happened. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impress you. In the next five minutes, I'm going to impress you with some knowledge that you don't even necessarily even need to know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Here's the deal. In the early church, when the church first got started, they, they saw that one, this passage, they saw the part where he, says, um, where he says, take and eat, this is my body. The early church saw this is my body and this is my blood, and they saw it as very literal. That he took that bread and he took that wine. He's going, this is my body. This is, this is my blood. And so the early church said, see, he's, it's, that, that, that the elements have been transformed. They've been transformed. Now, the belief that they're transformed is a really big word. Okay, It's an 18-letter word. The word is transubstantiation. You got that on the screen? There you go. See, I even hyphenated it because it's that big. 18 letters. I will never use an 18-letter word again when I'm up here in front. I can guarantee you that. But transubstantiation, I dare you to use that tomorrow at work or at school. Just say, yeah, that reminds me of transubstantiation. Just use it once. Um, but transubstantiation is the belief that it's actually transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. Now, the Catholic Church has continued that belief. And that's why, when I was an altar boy growing up in the Catholic Church, that's why we had to hold a gold plate underneath people as they were getting the the body and blood of Jesus, because if it fell under the ground, you're talking about the actual body of Jesus. That's why there's so much reverence around it. That's why they put it in a gold cup. Because it's, it's, there's, there's a, so much reverence around this is the body and blood of Jesus. Well, over time, people argued that. And, and a new reformed idea came in. And this reformed idea from Martin Luther and others said that I think that this is more of a representation. This is more of a metaphor. That he's saying that, that this is my body and my blood broken for you and shed for you. And it's a metaphor of, of this is the, the, the actual bread and the actual wine is a metaphor of my body and my blood. 
And so, so they, he, they're saying that's the way he was speaking. And so, so that became Jesus' presence around that was, was called consubstantiation. It was a, his presence was around it. And that gradually moved into the belief, a memorial belief, that was, it represents. It represents his, his death. It represents his body. And every time we do it, we proclaim his death. And that's why you can go on this side in churches where you see it, it's, it you can take it yourself and you can just take it. You, you know, I'm not bagging on this by any means, you guys, because there's churches that you can do that. And you go, you can just, you can, I can take this and it represents and I have to remember what he's done, what he's done for me. So, so that's the range that you get from church, in different churches. They'll argue that over centuries. The one thing they will not argue is Why? Why do we do this? Why would Jesus set this up to do this? Why would we go, why would we do this weekly or monthly? Or why would churches centuries later continue to do the practice of communion? Well, Jesus lays it out for us. He says, I want you to remember my body broken for you. And I want you to remember my blood shed for you. And I want you to proclaim my death. And you just go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to talk about his death. I want to talk about his life. I want to talk about how great Jesus was. I want to talk about all the awesome things he said. And I want to talk about how he's my best friend. And I want to talk about how he's left us his Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about all the good. I don't want to talk about his death. Who wants to linger in that? But he's saying, I want you to remember my death. And then he, and he also said this, we read. It's for the forgiveness of sin. Well, who wants to talk about sin? Fingernails on a chalkboard, right? Nobody wants to talk about sin. Can I just talk about mistakes? Oh, that's, that's a little easier. Can I just say the mistakes I make? And I could apologize for those mistakes and I'm back okay again? I'll talk about his life. I'll talk about his love. I'll talk about his friendship. And I'll talk about mistakes. And I'll just know that in the end, all is going to be good. Well, you guys, a lot of us in this room can live our entire Christian faith just holding on to his life and our mistakes and never, never have to come face to face with his death, his body broken, his blood shed, and sin. See, see, if all we do is hold on to the, to, to the good stuff, then whenever you find some other good thing, Maybe that's the good thing now. We lose the whole idea of Savior. We lose the idea of I'm saved from something. Because all it is is just, he was just, he was awesome. He was great. He's a good, I love all that he said. And, 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 and I make mistakes and that's okay. It's not about being saved. It's just that's a really good thing for me. But you find a girlfriend. And that becomes your really good thing. You find a great job and that becomes your really good thing. You, you, you have a ton of money and that becomes your really good thing. And the whole time, we're still separated. See, Jesus knew something. He knew that his father created us to be in relationship with him but he gave us the free will to choose that or not. And he knew that in our humanness, we will choose 
whatever direction is our next fun thing that we can do, we'll choose a different direction. He knows that. He knows that we can go this way, and in that we can become separated from God. He knows that. He knows that that's deep down stuff, not just mistakes on the surface. That's deep down stuff that's going on deep in our hearts, and we all know we've got it. That angst that we feel, we all know we have it. That, that, that disengagement that we feel, we all know we have it. None of us ever want to admit it, but we all know we have it. That, 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 that separation that we have, that, that, uh, that sense or that feeling that ultimately leads to fear, that ultimately leads to anger, that ultimately leads to jealousy. See, a lot of times we just look at those things on the surface, but there's something deeper that's happening. There's something more that's happening that's, that, that, we, that we're living in. And this is separated from this, the love of our creator. This is where we're living. That angst is what we live with. And you guys, we're buried in it. There isn't a person that's exempt from it. Paul writes in Romans 3, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't a person that's exempt from this truth. Every one of us have it. You can say, no, I don't believe in it. You don't have to believe in it to, to still for it to be there. You can say, today I'm an atheist. It's still there. You can say, no, I'm going to believe in some other. It's still there. Our angst and our separation is still there. And you can go, you can find as many good things to try to fix it as you want, but it's still there. And there's nothing we can do about it. And we're all in that place. And here's the scariest part. Paul says, here's the repercussion for it. For the wages of sin is death. He's going and we're going to die in it. We are going to die in it. We're buried in it and we're going to die in it separated from God, who created us to be in relationship with him. And God knows it and sees it and sees you and, and what you're trying to find and believe and trying to figure it all out. And God's going, no, 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 I got to fix this because we're buried in it. We have to come face to face with that truth. We have to in our life. For me, there's different, pe different people have different ways of remembering and thinking about this and reminding yourself of this. And some have great authors that they read and some have, have scripture that they memorize. For me, I have movies. For me, it's movies that helps me to remember, remember it. And there's this one movie in particular that for some reason has stuck in my head that has planted this, this picture in my head of the place that we're sta we stand in, our, in, our, in how we're buried in this sin, in this separation it's a, it's a movie that came out about 2004. It's called The World Trade Center. It stars Nicolas Cage, which already, I apologize for that, because that's already hard enough to reconcile that, that it's Nicolas Cage. But, um, but, but in this movie, in this World Trade Center movie, there's a, there, it's, it's all about these, these two firefighters that as the trade centers fall from September 11th, they get buried underneath all the rubble. And they're, they're, and they're down there underneath there, and they're just trapped by all the rubble. I want to show you this first scene. It's a hard scene. It's a scene where, the, where the, 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 the building is falling and they see an elevator shaft and they have to run to the elevator shaft to try to save themselves from the building falling on top of them. Watch this. Oh, 
for the next 45 minutes of the movie, it's in the darkness. And it's these two guys buried under all that rubble. They've got concrete blocks over both of them. They can't move. They can't, they can't get themselves out. They tried to move the concrete and they could not move it. They are trapped underneath the concrete on top of them and then are trapped underneath the hundreds of feet of stuff on top of that. They're stuck down there in the dark. They're stuck down there totally helpless. And they can't do a thing about it. And that's what we're talking about with sin. That's what we're talking about in this plight that we're in. That's what we're talking about with this separation and this angst and this thing that we're thirsting for and this thing that we're hungry for. And what do we do about this? We are helpless, trapped. We can't do anything about it. We're stuck there. Now this is where... In our humanness, we are, everyone knows this. Like I said, no matter where, what you believe, everyone knows this. And so we look for self-help books to help us out. We find some religion where if you do the right things and pray the right prayers, then it gets yourself out. You, you find the right person that if you find enough kind of happiness in your life, then maybe that'll get you out. But it doesn't. We're still stuck there. There's nothing we can do. And, and, and here's the deal. While we're stuck there, we convince ourselves it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big. I, I can still try to live life. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not buried that deep. It's interesting in this movie, the two are sitting under there. And at one point, Nicolas Cage asks him, how far down are we? And because the other guy can actually see a little, uh, a little bit of light. And he says, it looks like we're about 20 feet but they have no idea what's been buried on, on top of them. Watch this. Right. Yeah. Yeah! How far off? I don't know. Maybe uh, 20 feet up. There's still stuff in the way. What else you see? Uh, beams, plaster, nothing. And I talked to Jim about this. I said, Jim, I don't know, or is this going to be? Is this too intense to even show these scenes in this? And 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 we were both talking about the fact that I don't think the Bible hides from the reality of of where we truly are at in sin. And I think we all we all need to 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 understand and 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 let that sink in that that we're in that helpless place. Paul writes about it. He said he said. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Because he knows I'm gonna, he's going to die in this. And he says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And there's something real about that. And I, and I know we, none of us want to talk about it. None of us want to address that. But there's something very, that's very real about that. That that's the place that we're in. 
But then here's what happens, you guys. Here's what happens. He says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because here's what happens. God sees the plight of the people he created. And for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so God brings his son to this earth and he says, you got to go find them. They're in that rubble somewhere. you got to go find them. And he finds us. He finds us. He finds each one of you. He finds us. Sometimes we say, I remember that was the day that I found Jesus or I found God or whatever. You guys, we didn't find God. God found us. He came down and he found us in that hole. He found us down that shaft. And he's going, I have to go down there and save them because I know where this is going. i got to save them. And so Jesus climbs down that shaft all the way down to us. He gets down there to us. And he sees our helplessness. He sees that we cannot do anything to save ourselves. And Jesus knows the story isn't over yet. Because he knows that the wages of sin is death. And so he's going, this building isn't done falling. And it's going to fall right on these guys. And it's going to end in death. It's going to end in death. Jesus knows that. He sees it. He's assessing the situation with us down there. And here's what he does. He looks around and he says, here's what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to go a little bit further down. I'm going to dig further down myself. And he finds a spot where he's going, if I can let this building fall on me, then it won't fall on them. If I can find a spot to allow this building to fall on me, then maybe they won't die. And so he lets the building fall on him. In Isaiah, it says, he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed, The building fell for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. The punishment that we deserved was on him. And it made us whole. How did it make us whole? Well, this is the image I have in my head that's just stuck with me ever since then. This is the image I have in my head that Jesus, that building fell on him, but that wasn't the end because death doesn't win, life wins. And Jesus rises from that, from that place. And as he is rising from that place, he sees us laying there. And he sees all the rubble that's around us. He starts peeling that rubble away. And he reaches out his hand and he says, take my hand. I can give you life again. I can rescue you. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Thank God, Jesus Christ. He grabs our hand. He says, I can rescue you. Take my hand. And we can grab hold of it. And he brings us to the surface. And he breathes new life into us. Take a look. some of you know this, but do you let it sink in? Do you let it sink in? 
Do you actually say, he is my savior. He saved me from that separation. He saved me from that death. He gives me life. He brought me out. Do you let that sink in? Paul writes later in Romans, the word that saves is right here, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as close as the heart in your chest. It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. This is everything. Say the welcoming word to God, Jesus is my master. Basically, that's saying, grab his hand. He's reaching out, grab his hand, embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right, and then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. And you guys, that's communion. It's that chance that we have of remembering his body broken for us and remembering his blood shed for us and proclaiming his death and to say everything is set right in the midst of all of the pain and all of the stuff that I've gone through in my life, everything is set right between me and God because of the work that he did, because he found me and he saved me. And that's communion. But then Jesus goes a little bit further. He personalizes it. He personalizes it. He could have just said some general thing to people, just practice this thing. But no, he brought 12 people into a room and he looked at them and he said, this is my body broken for you, Matthew. They're in this small little table. And he says, this is my blood shed for you, John. And he says, every time you do this, you're proclaiming my death. Peter, he personalizes it. He says, I'm doing this and I did this for you. Remember it. I will never forget when communion became personal for me. After all the weeks and weeks of taking it and just it just being the thing you do and the marker that you're 10 minutes away from the end of the service, that's all communion was for me. And instead... When Denny Ryberg, sitting there in our, in our college ministry, broke that bread and he said, Jesus died for you. When he said that, Jesus died for you. And then we passed that bread around in this, in this gymnasium on a carpet floor in this gymnasium up in Seattle. And, and each of the people would take a piece of bread and they'd hand it to the person next to them. And then it got to me under the basketball hoop as I'm staring at all the good looking girls in the room I'm, and not thinking of anything else. And the, and the bread comes around to me and Paul Von Gator sitting right next to me. He's this guy that's older than me. I'm intimidated by him. And he turns to me with this piece of bread, this loaf of bread. And he says, Bill, Jesus died for you. And he loves you. He's looking at me right in the eyes. He says, and he loves you. 
The tears started streaming down as I took that piece of bread and I'm going, he did it for me. Man, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't understand the depth of sin. I don't understand that I'm buried in it. But he did it for me. And now every single time I take communion, I will take it, I'll rip that piece off, I'll dip it into that crumb-filled juice, and I'll take it back to my seat. And I'll stare at it for a little bit. And just for that moment, everything else kinds of falls away. All the, all the, uh, uh, all the stress and all the things that other people are, uh, other things that I'm dealing with in my life, they fall away for just that moment. And in that moment, the one thing I know he has set it right for him and me. In the midst of my guilt, he has set it right for him and me. In the midst of my, of my doubt, he has set it right for him and me. That nothing will ever change that. That he did that for me. And I take that, take that bite with as much thankfulness as I get and I need it because the rest of this life is hard. And I need that reminder that he set it right for him and me. When you come up next week, if you come back here to church and you come up and you rip that bread off and you dip it into that juice, he has set it right for you because he did it for you and he did it for me. And if you invite a friend and that friend comes here this next week, and they see some weird thing happening with bread and juice and dipping it in and all that, and they don't get what's going on, you can turn to them and say, I know it looks weird, and I know it's different, but he loves you, even though you don't even know it. And he went to the cross for you, even though you don't even believe it. He did that for you too. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us, that in the midst of our life, in the midst of all the things that are going through in our life, that we would recognize, one, recognize the place that we're in, that we would recognize the separation, that we would recognize that we're buried. I pray that each one of us would. God, help us not to live our life just accepting just the, 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 just the good things and that's it, and that we can choose any good in our life, but help us to recognize that you are our Savior. And you have saved us from that place. And you reach out your hand and you could be reaching out your hand right now to somebody in this room. You could be reaching out your hand to them right now. And all it takes is to say, yes, I want that life. I want that new life. I want to grab your hand. Rescue me from this body of death. God, help each one of us to get to that place. And then thank you, Jesus, for giving us a tangible, physical thing that we can hold on to that says, yes, it is right between you and me. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.